You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 32. Got pulled over by a cop. It's like something out of a movie, you know, right? You're like about to get to the hospital and you're in labor and, and a policeman pulls you over. And we pulled into the hospital and the cop pulled up behind us. My husband's like, what did I do? He's just like license and registration. My husband gets out of the car, which kind of freaked him out a little bit. Oh, yeah. That. And my husband just was kind of like, you know, a little frantic. And he's like, my wife's in labor. I just want to see if I can park over there. And then he like hands the cop his license. He's like, here's my license. Just mail it back to me. <laughs> just give me a ticket, whatever you need to do. My wife is in labor though. We got to go. Like we got, I got to park, whatever. And the cop just like, at that point, the cop is just like, here you go. Just go. Just, oh, good. Never mind. <laughs> there and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Did you know you can sign up to receive email updates whenever a new episode goes live? Visit birthmattersshow.com to join our podcast community. Hey, everyone. If you're listening to this anytime near the time that this goes live, I hope you're hanging in there and staying safe and healthy at home. I'm recording this a week before it airs and about two and a half weeks into New York's social distancing and homeboundness due to COVID-19. I want to make sure you're aware that through this pandemic, Birth Matters has a page on our website with constantly updated COVID-19 resources for expectant parents. One of the most recent updates at the time of this recording is that on March 28th, Governor Cuomo issued an executive order in effect for the next 30 days telling hospitals they must allow one labor support partner who is both symptom-free and screened upon arrival into the hospital with the laboring person through the immediate postpartum. Read more details, tips, and stress management strategies over at our website at birthmattersnyc.com slash COVID-19, and know that we're constantly updating it anytime there are new resources that we think might be helpful for you. Also, Birth Matters has partnered with The Root Therapy NYC to provide an ongoing weekly support group for expectant parents. The Root Therapy is also offering a new parent support group as well as other group options. For more information, email contact at therootherapynyc.com. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, Birth Matters is offering a huge discount on our online on-demand course because it's more important than ever to get equipped for the best birth possible. Our heart goes out to the families whose hospitals have canceled birth classes across the country or who are experiencing severe financial hits right now, and we don't want cost to be a barrier. You can find the promo code and sign up over at birthmattersnyc.com. Also, our regularly scheduled live group classes that are normally in person are temporarily being held on Zoom, and we're also doing virtual private sessions. So please know that you can prep for birth and parenthood in whatever format works best for you and wherever you are. Again, you can register for any of these class formats over at birthmattersnyc.com. I wanted to give a couple of quick tips for this time before I discuss this month's theme and today's episode. 
If you're giving birth in a hospital anytime soon during the COVID-19 pandemic, and if your hospital doesn't have ample protective gear, please add some to your hospital packing list. Birth professionals, expectant parents, and concerned citizens have worked hard to get partners who are not symptomatic and who are screened allowed back in hospitals to support laboring folks, so it's incredibly important to in turn help them out by bringing in as much of your own protective gear as possible if they don't have ample supply. A mask, gloves, a gown if possible, disinfectant wipes at a minimum. Not just for partners, but also for the laboring person. Also, partners need to pack and be prepared to stay at the hospital until at least a couple of hours after birth, knowing that you likely will not be allowed to leave the labor and delivery room once you are admitted with your partner. Also consider, as you're packing, if you can throw away as many of the items that you took out of your bag and used as possible to minimize the germs you'll be bringing home. So those are just a few tips for now. I'll likely have more in future episodes. Moving on now to the theme for the next few weeks. April is Cesarean Awareness Month, so we'll be sharing cesarean birth stories in the next few episodes. Be sure to follow us over on Instagram or Facebook, both at Birth Matters NYC, for some educational content on this topic this month. Today, Christine will share her birth story. You'll also hear her singing parakeets in the background, and you might hear her husband, Omri, making an occasional clarification in the background. Her son flipped into breech position in the last few weeks of her pregnancy, and when she learned that her doctor would automatically schedule a cesarean due to baby's position, and given she was already less than satisfied with the care she was receiving, she tries her very best, unsuccessfully unfortunately, to find a care provider who will support her desire to have a vaginal breech birth. She also shares some about her breastfeeding journey, her baby's diagnosis with something called tongue tie, lip tie, and cheek tie, and struggling with low milk supply. Learn how it's never too late to switch care providers if, at any point, you're feeling like you might be misaligned. Without further ado, here we go. Welcome, Christine. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to hearing your birth story. You want to introduce yourself and then just go on into your birth story. Yes. Hi, I'm Christine. I have a baby boy, Mayan, and my husband's name is Omri. And I gave birth seven, almost eight weeks ago. (laughs) Not long ago. Yeah. My birth story, I start, I guess when I was 33 weeks, because that's when I found out my baby was breached. And before that, he was head down and he flipped to breach in the matter of like two weeks. <laughs> I didn't never felt it happen, but at some point it happened. And the next seven weeks of my pregnancy were just like me obsessively focused on trying to get him to flip head down because I really wanted to have a vaginal birth and I wanted to have a natural birth. I didn't want to have surgery. And that's the option that was offered to me with a breech baby. The only option I was given from the current doctor that I had. So I started looking into how to flip the baby, but also where could I possibly give birth to a vaginal breech baby? It's (laughs) hard. It's like a needle in a haystack, right? To find that in our area and really in the country in general, it's hard to find. Yeah. I mean, I did everything to flip him. Like you name it, I tried it. (laughs) Like I had an inversion table in my living room. I was I was seeing a chiropractor. I was doing acupuncture. I did headstands in a pool. 
uh, I took <laughs> homeopathic medicine. Uh, I did like everything. And where did you get your tips on what things to try? Was it spinning babies or was it something else? Yeah, spinning babies, but also my doula. And other than that, like kind of just the internet, I guess. <laughs> In general, just doing research on what I could do. And none of it worked. Then I tried ECB. I did, what is this, the external? Cephalic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that too. They wanted to do it for me at 37 weeks. And I still wanted to try to flip them on my own. And I just like didn't feel like the procedure was right for me. And then I found a doctor I really liked in New Jersey and ended up trying it with him. And it was kind of scary to do it. But do you mind my asking who that was in New Jersey? Dr. Haddad. Ah, yes. He's a favorite for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's really great. We really liked him, both of us. And he was a doctor I went to actually with the idea that he might deliver vaginal breach. I went to him and he was basically like, I don't do that anymore. Not since 2001, hmm. which is when I learned, I guess, everything changed with breach births, with the new guidelines that came out from ACOG. And... He's like, I used to do, I used to deliver them all the time in the nineties. He like, did it all the time. It was like, so apologetic that like, he was like, the hospital like won't let me do it. Yeah. And the only time I've done it in the past two few years was like, if a twin, one of the twins and a twin birth was breach, or I think another woman came in and the baby like slipped to breach last minute. So they just delivered, delivered the baby that way. <laughs> <laughs> And that's basically the answers that I got from from all the exploring I was doing of can I somehow, somewhere, get a vaginal breach birth. Have you heard of the documentary Heads Up? Yeah, I watched that too. You did, yeah. It's sad yeah. That, that vaginal breach delivery is a dying art. Yeah, it's a nice documentary. I wish they had delved into it more. Like, I felt like they kind of just skimmed the surface of the subject. Yeah, I agree. It was it was short. Maybe they just didn't have enough budget to do I'm Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but there's definitely, you know, enough interest to create something more like that. And I dropped my care provider at 38 weeks. I left him. And part of the reason was once he, once the baby was breached, it was kind of like, okay, C-section, done deal. I'm going to schedule it. Like, that's it. I'm like, what's and this name? was this was at New York Presbyterian Lower Manhattan, right? Because you had right. originally been with midwives there, but you risked out due to a medical con- a medical yeah. thing that happened, right? Yeah, I had an infection in December. It was sepsis, and it was like really serious, and it didn't affect the rest of my pregnancy other than I was put on a low dose antibiotic, and I was told I couldn't see the midwives anymore. And yeah, so I ended up with a doctor that I hadn't even chosen to begin with. He did an ultrasound. Whereas asking what what breach position the baby was in, and he told me like, oh, it's complete breach. But I think he like doesn't even know, didn't even know like the breach positions, <laughs> because like he's like it doesn't matter because it's a C-section, mm-hmm. like no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, okay. And he was like, there's no benefit, and there's only disadvantages to you not scheduling a C-section because he wanted me to schedule a C-section at 39 weeks. And he told me that there was an increased risk of cord prolapse. Cord prolapse, right. Yep. Yeah. And I did a little bit of reading about that, but I was like, I see no reason not to wait till I go into labor, no matter what. <laughs> and I'm still, and I did, and I'm still so happy that I did that because just to me, it just makes sense to, it just makes more sense to wait till like the baby is, the baby's ready. 
Yeah. And I thought it would make it easier with breastfeeding and just mm -hmm. my recovery in general, like just to let the body take its natural course. Yeah, I think that there's so much wisdom in that because the hormones of labor are there for reasons more than just giving birth, but like they help with birth, even even if you're having a C-section. And then like you just said, it, it can help with breastfeeding. And so yeah. good for you for making that choice for yourself and advocating for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I decided to just wait and I was ready to go up to 41 weeks and beyond, even though like the doctors were like, if you're still pregnant 41 weeks, like we want you to come in and talk about the schedule C-section. Cause at that point I was like going to, I went to Metropolitan Hospital also and saw doctors there. There was one doctor there that rumor had it. He would deliver vaginal breach. Also doesn't just, just does it for twins, you know, where one's breach and whatever. Anyway, that was a story with that. And then at 40 weeks on my due date, I found one practice in New Jersey that told me they would deliver, that I contacted on my due date. And then a few days later, they told me they would deliver vaginal breach, but it was like too late. <laughs> too late course, for me to go out there. According to them, it was too late. Or you, no, or just no, it felt too stressful for you. Have a phone number. It's like a midwife practice. They didn't even have a phone number. I like emailed them, but I was kind of like all to get. I was totally ready to hear the same answer I was getting from everyone else, which was, you know, we don't do that anymore, or no, you you can't, or whatever. And by the time they got back to me, it was like the day, maybe the day before I gave, I went into labor. So okay, I see. You know, and it, and it's kind of like, and I even considered, you know, a home birth experience at the but you can't really plan that at the end of your pregnancy like because they're home birth midwives at least none that I talked to directly but they're that will deliver vaginal breach you kind of have to plan for that and I heard like some of them they won't even take a transfer patient that that had been previously planning like a hospital birth so it was complicated at least not that late in pregnancy yeah yeah, at least not really. Yeah, at least not really in pregnancy. Yeah, so I just waited to go into labor and actually just was like, who knows, the baby could flip at the very last minute, which didn't happen, but I have heard of it happening. So, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't tell anybody like not to hold out hope or, you know, to like give up and just have a C-section because, mm -hmm. I mean, Dr. Adele told us about a woman who, whose baby flipped when she was 40 weeks, five days. So amazing things can yeah. happen. Yeah, absolutely. I had a I had a friend whose baby was actually doing somersaults in labor, was like going breach, vertex, breach, vertex. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not common, of course, but you know, anything can happen. So you never know. Totally. I, I've heard of that too. So I went into labor at 40 weeks and four days. And my water broke. That's what happened in the middle of the night. And it was sort of like a common situation of I didn't know if it was my water broke or if I was just, I just peed myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because <laughs> there's so much pressure down there at that point, that could easily happen and you didn't realize. <laughs> and I had you know, already a bit of incontinence at the, towards the end of pregnancy. And so like, it seemed totally logical idea that I could have just done that. Yeah. So, and then like, I just went back to bed and like the next morning, I got up and like the fluid continued and it was like a river. Like there was so much fluid throughout the whole day. Like <laughs> I did not know it was like that. I was like, once I thought your water broke and it was just, you get one big gush and that was it. 
But no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it can trickle a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's so much fluid. By the afternoon, it was like I needed, I soaked through like several pads, had to use, put like a towel down. <laughs> yeah, so then I start, like I called the doctor's office and, t- and just to confirm that it was like actually my water broke. And they're like, yeah, you should head into the hospital. And I called my husband home. Then we're like, you know what? There's not really any rush. Like we can just wait a little bit and like, you know, take our time, like packing the bag. And, you know, getting last minute things ready. So we did. And I thought, you know, eventually I was going to start having contractions, but I didn't. But I did kind of get a bit antsy, like with all the fluid. I was like, is this normal? Like, what if, you know, can something be wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was all it was all fine. It was all normal. So we went to the hospital, I think late afternoon we headed there. And I still had, we had a doula. And I still had her come to the hospital, even though I knew it was probably having a C-section. And that still helped to have her there because she she helped me in general, but with support. But she also helped me navigate the C-section with the doctors, like told me what I could ask for, you know, like what I could push them on. Good. And all of that. What kind, I, do you remember what kinds of things she was encouraging you to, to think about or ask? No, I'm trying to remember. Do you remember? Was it some gentle cesarean techniques? Yeah. Lowering the curtain when the baby's born? I don't remember suggesting anything. I remember fighting with the doctors on the cord thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was gentle cesarean things, basically. And I forget, did you guys know you were having a boy? Yeah, you did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we knew we were having a boy. Because sometimes people want to identify that for themselves if they don't know already instead of the doctors Um, that you already knew. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, it was like gentle cesarean stuff. And she was like talking about what they were going to do, how the whole thing was going to go, basically, how long it usually takes and what happens afterward when they take the baby, what they do. And she's like, if they're taking too long, like you can say, hey, I want to hold the baby already. Like maybe you can speed things up or hold off on you know doing things that could be done later because they just take the baby I think they I couldn't even see what was happening so so just to go in order of things more I guess like I think an hour before they came into the hospital and they just checked his position he was still breech and actually we were pushing them out we were like they they're like oh you you know for the safety of the baby you need to have a c-section we're like no you know what this is not for the best of the baby this is like your hospital policy because of like liability and you know it's don't act like this is for this is always like the safest way to give birth because it's not (laughs) and or what oh yeah my husband was like don't lie (laughs) (laughs) don't lie this is not you know this is not what you always do just for safety's sake and like what's best for the baby well, at the same time, to be fair, if they don't train, if they don't know how to do it safely, oh yeah, then you know it is riskier, which is unfortunate that they're not teaching anybody to do it because it 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 is it could be done safely. Right, I, a, yeah. I would only want to, yeah, I would only want to give birth that way with a doctor who knew, who was trained to yeah. do it. Yeah, which sure. is why you were trying to find one. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. And I mean, when I when I talked to the doctors at the hospital before I went in labor, before I went there for the birth. They were like, the only way that you can have a vaginal breach birth here is if you 
came in active labor, like you come in, you're like eight centimeters dilated or something and you refuse surgery. <laughs> and then at that point, this is the only doctor who will touch you because no one else like knows how to do this. <laughs> and I mean, I really just been asking them, you know, how I could do this with a doctor being on board with it. And they were like taking my questions to mean that this is something I was considering, which I was not, I just wasn't comfortable doing that. <laughs> yeah. So in the hospital, like they're like, this is your only option. And that's the, that's the hardest part about having a breech baby is like, you just don't have a choice. I'm totally supportive of moms who choose to have C-section with a breech birth who like would not be comfortable having a breech vaginal delivery. But just the fact that you can't have that all because all it goes back to that study, that breech birth study that they later said had so many flaws to it and, and, and. <laughs> They shouldn't have made the guidelines based on that and that whole thing. Wherever we post this interview, I'll be sure to post some of that information with the yeah. show Yeah, post a link. I'm sorry I'm not like saying the exact name of that. And <laughs> no, that's fine. I don't, I don't remember it off the top of my head either, but I'll be sure to look it up. <laughs> the term, ber- term breach study or something like that. And, you know, the international study, like the biggest study they'd ever done on the breach birth. And then it was later discredited. But by then it was too late from what I understand. Yeah, and they just weren't training the doctors in it anymore. And my baby was in the right, the quote unquote, maybe quote unquote right position for a breach vaginal birth. Because, you know, if he had been foot long breach, I don't know that I would have even been trying to attempt to do it. But he was Frank, uh, Frank breach, which is like the most common position. So, yeah, they, they saw that position in the hospital and then. From then on, it was like preparing me for the C-section to have it that, that night. So before I went into surgery, like it wasn't any rush to it because it wasn't like I was having an emergency C-section or anything like that. I could still talk to the doctors about my preferences. I'd actually ask them about a clear drape like before all this when I had a doctor's appointment there which they don't have, but the doctor was like, oh, you're the third person to like ask me about that in the past two months. So I'm going to start looking into having that. Yay. See, that's how we have change happen in maternal health care is when people start making their wishes known. So I'm yeah. so happy to hear that they're hearing that request. Good. Yeah, yeah. that's really important to, to ask for things like that. Yeah, and then the doctor like started telling me stories of like people passing out in the surgery room <laughs> looking over the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, my husband still did it in the surgery room. He's not, I mean, he's not uh, uh, somebody who, you know, freaks out at that, at seeing open wounds and things like that. And the doctors are still like, well, we've had people say that and still pass out. <laughs> Makes them nervous. Yeah. And he was fine. I mean, I think he was told to sit down when he did it, but no, it was fine. And I wanted to, you know, get the baby on me right away and have skin to skin and even try to do like immediate breastfeeding. And so I talked to the doctors about this. I mean, they did tell us we couldn't bring in our gigantic camera. I mean, it's not gigantic. It's like a big, but it's like a big digital camera. And the anesthesiologist saw it and he was like, can you bring in a smaller camera? (laughs) Why does the size of the camera matter? That's odd. I don't know. 
Maybe they're afraid you're going to, like, knock something over with it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe so. Yeah, I don't know. But we just took in a cell phone. And actually, my husband gave his phone to one of the nurses. And they took pictures of him. Uh, the anesthesiologist uh, The anesthesiologist took pictures for us, actually, oh. in, the, in the delivery room. Um, Hi. When he came out. Yeah. So did they let uh, – did, did Omri bring uh, the – um baby over to your chest or to your cheek or what how, how did that look yeah yeah so they took him you know right away when he came out i couldn't see anything i had the curtain i just heard the crying he came out crying and they took him you know to weigh him and whatnot and they wrapped him up and then either omri or one of the nurses did you bring him over to me no because i was like oh so so one of the nurses brought him over to me and put him right on my chest and my husband actually helped me like unwrap him oh, uh like unswaddle him and so yeah and try to take the antibiotic ointment off the eyes <laughs> and i got him on my chest just like that and like in front of the curtain there was enough space i couldn't get breastfeeding going right away it was just too awkward flat on my back sure yeah. so yeah it didn't just didn't seem like very easy to do that at that point. But your arms were not restrained for the surgery, correct? No, I was afraid that I was afraid they were going Good. to and Good. I talked to them about it beforehand. I and told them I would unhook you if you were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most hospitals don't do that locally anymore. What was that? Uh, most hospitals in New York don't restrain the arms. Occasionally okay. you might hear of it, but most of the time they don't anymore. Oh, okay. They're just out to our sides. Yeah. My husband was like, I'm going to unhook you if they restrain you. <laughs> I think the anesthesiologist was like, we asked him and he was like, no, we'll only do that if we need to. And he's like, weird things happen in the in surgery rooms and, you know. Yeah, sometimes someone will start freaking out. And if they start freaking out, then the arms can get in the way of the surgery. Yeah, that's yeah. part of the concern. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, for a situation like that. But I was fine. I was really worried about getting the epidural injection in the back in my back and just about the surgery in general but like that went fine i just like laid down right away and the whole thing took you know 10 minutes after like 10 minutes maybe he was out and the longest part of it is just them sewing you back up yep and like they said you you or maybe the doula said to me like you want them to take their time with that yeah. yes good point <laughs> Excellent yeah, point. Yeah. yeah so and did I mean, you did the epidural take really well to where you only felt like tugging and pulling but no pain? Yeah, or, right. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It went really well uh, with that. And, and yeah, my husband like fought with the doctor for a while about delayed cord clamping. I was gonna ask about that because I was remembering that you wanted to do that, I think. Yes. Um and so C section, they usually don't allow that at all. They just want right. to, you know, get the baby out and start closing you back up. Right. Yeah, it's more for them because of the mother having surgery. My husband because they were like, well, we can't have an open wound being open for, you know, we can't just leave an open wound being open for 30 seconds or a few minutes or whatever. And my husband was like, well, I've seen open wounds. You know, he was in the army. He's like, I've seen guts and open wounds open and everything was fine. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was fine. Like people got treated, like, you know, nothing 
nothing terrible happened for this just because of the the wound being open and he just like fought with the doctor on it and uh and at the end he let me have delayed cord clamping by i think a minute i was allowed and so like yeah because And as the baby came out, they started, the doctor started a count, a countdown. And he said, I'll give you 15 um, seconds. Yeah, he said, my husband, he said, I'll give you 15 seconds. And he started counting down. And then my husband's like, like, wait, I lost count. I lost count. I'll start again. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so it ended up being about a minute. So that was nice to have that. Yeah, and it good. took a lot of it took a lot of discussion, took a lot of pushing them about it, and argument. Yeah, at least we had that. And then as I was, you know, ready to be wheeled out, like went to a recovery room for two hours, at least two hours, and I took the baby and tried to start breastfeeding right away, and that was difficult too. Like the latch was just like painful from the very beginning, and mm-hmm. I was I knew it wasn't supposed to be so painful. And it was hard those few days in the hospital because there I did not get the support that I hoped to get with breastfeeding. And like they like we have we have one Ivy CLC and she's on vacation. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, and um, and you said this was at Metropolitan Hospital. Yeah, Metropolitan. Was it where you ended up? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's where I ended up. I almost did go to Doctor Dad, but he happens to leave town the night that. I went into labor. <laughs> yeah. And I was just going to have a C-section. So, you know, it wasn't like I was going to go have some, some other experience necessarily like with him. It was just going to be a C-section there too. But yeah, so I just went to Metropolitan and yeah, like, so then after we did have our own private room after I was taken out of the recovery room, which was at least that was really beneficial and really important at the end because I don't know how I would have done that with like recovered so well without my husband there. Like, <laughs> yeah, I always say if you have a C-section, it's it's the good kind of debt to splurge on a private room. But at Metropolitan Hospital, that is, I think, the only hospital in Manhattan that has private like by default that you don't yeah. have to pay the big bucks for. Yeah, and I heard for at Columbia, I think hospital like in Harlem or something like that. Oh, that's right. I was forgetting. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did all kinds of reading about different hospitals. I almost like, because I was trying to figure out where to transfer care to different points. And I read about all the hospitals. You can tell. It's great. I know. But you know, (laughs) like, they're kind of all the same in many ways. Uh, All the the major, like, private city hospitals. And then at some point, I was like, I should just choose, like, based on a doctor that I like, not based on the hospital. Mm-hmm. Though I will say that if I were choosing now, I'd probably, I think I think I would go to NYU. Yeah. Just because you don't get a private room, but you do, they do allow the partner to stay. Yes, they do. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they have like, they do have a lot of breastfeeding support and mm-hmm. and you can get donor milk, apparently, if you can't produce your own breast milk. But meanwhile, I was in Metropolitan, like trying to breastfeed. Yeah, and it just wasn't going well. And by the time I went home, my nipples were like in bad shape. Oh. <laughs> and I, like from the hospital, I was like texting IPCLCs 
like to arrange for someone to come to my home and help me. And I kind of wish I'd even had them come to the hospital and help me, you know, while I was there. Uh, so yeah, I had somebody come the next day and she helped me a lot. Of, I mean, even just to calm down because I was so stressed out in the hospital and like the nurses were not helping. They're just not sensitive in how they were, you know, dealing with my situation. They were like upsetting me <laughs> more so than anything. <sighs> just making me more stressed out. You know, making me feel like I was starving my baby, like, and trying to breastfeed. And, yeah, that just made it a difficult situation. And, yeah, I went, one of the nurses, like, the worst one, just, like, had me in tears on, like, the last day we were there. At least she, for her, to her credit, like, she apologized to me, like, before we left. So that was nice. Um yeah, my husband kind of went up against the, the, all the nurses, I think, <laughs> to deal with them. Yeah, and then, you know, the C-section recovery, like, really wasn't too bad. Like, I think I only took one strong ibuprofen pill after I got home. And, you know, I was prescribed, like, strong painkillers, but didn't have to take them. And just getting in and out of bed was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I just moved a certain way where I would pull on the incision or anything like that and that would be painful it was just hard to move around for for a while for the first week or two but yeah it wasn't too bad as far as that and breastfeeding became you know my main focus like after the birth sure and did you find in terms of your c-section recovery did you find any specific things helpful for your physical well-being for your mental well-being no like one thing i took what's it called arnica arnica yeah i thought i thought that was maybe what you were going to say yes homeopathic yeah Uh i took that i was wanting to take that for pain instead of you know taking uh prescription painkillers and i think it helps me and i was happy to have that instead of taking drugs you know Mm -hmm. there's always a concern about you know trying to breastfeed and taking prescription drugs so yeah that's one thing I'd recommend getting and I had these like high waist underwear that someone had given me from my neighborhood another mom who who had the hospital underwear that they she got from in the hospital so, like these, these white mesh panties which people yeah. talk about and they're like stuck up on those panties <laughs> well did you see just in the last week Amy Schumer Instagrammed her walking down a country road with a stroller in those hospital underwear, those mesh underwear. Yeah. Oh, right. She's oh, trying yeah. to normalize all this postpartum stuff. And I'm like, yay, that's good. It's great. We need to have more awareness of yeah, our postpartum, you know, bodies yeah. and everything. I agree. That's amazing. I have to look at that picture. <laughs> yeah, I had those. And I mean, I had been expecting to have a vaginal birth, but actually those did still come in use because they sat above my incision line. So. Yes. That made it easier. So that helped. And there was still bleeding and I like stashed up on cloth pads. So I still got to use that. And yeah, a lot of people are surprised that they will still bleed after a C-section. Yeah, I hadn't known what to expect with that. And that's just, I didn't have any issues with bleeding. It just like gradually, you know, let up after a few weeks. Yeah, I think that's, that was it. <laughs> oh, I'll tell I you the story first before I forget. About of the course. Hospital. And you can maybe edit it back so it makes more sense, but into the, the timeline of the story. But we got pulled over by a cop when we got to the hospital. What? Um, 
Yeah, it's like something out of a movie, you know, right? You're like about to get to the hospital and you're in labor and, and a policeman pulls you over. <laughs> what? We made an illegal left turn. Knowingly. Knowingly, yeah. No, we knew it was a <laughs> We didn't, you know, not see the sign. We saw the sign. Did, did it anyway. My husband also saw the cop. I didn't even see the cop. My husband saw the cop. And we pulled into the hospital We were because they have a, a little parking lot right there and we were going to try to park there we pulled in and the cop pulled up behind us <laughs> uh, <laughs> the window license and registration my husband's like what did i do he just like license and registration my husband gets out of the car which kind of freaked him out a little bit oh yeah that and my husband just was kind of like you know a little frantic and he's like my wife's in labor i just want to see if i can park over there and then he like hands the cop his license. He's trying to hands the cop his license. He's like, here's my license. Just mail it back to me. <laughs> Just give me a ticket, whatever you need to do. My wife is in labor though. We got to go. Like we got, I got to park, whatever. And the cop just like, at that point, the cop is just like, here you go. Just go. Just, oh, good. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Rightly so. My goodness. Yeah. Oh. I know. I like said to my husband, like, what a place to even pull people over, like when you're just pulling into a hospital. I mean, you clearly have some right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but my husband, yeah, my husband's like, yeah, I know I did it. I did. I did a wrong thing here. You can give me a ticket. Like I did. I know I did a legal turn. <laughs> yeah. He's like, just mail it to me. <laughs> Yeah, he just like let us go, and like uh, yeah, uneventful after that. But well, it was funny. <laughs> can you clarify one thing? I'm just trying to figure out. So, did you just decide? Had you seen a care provider at Metropolitan? Sorry if I missed something um, here. I did for maybe I just had one appointment there. I went. I was trying to figure out if you transferred your care officially or if you just decided I'm going to show up on their doorstep. I sometimes I people of, do that. Yeah, I kind of officially transferred in that I told my I called my doctor's office and told them to cancel the C-section and said I'm going somewhere else. And I did see one do one appointment at Metropolitan, but I guess I didn't officially like transfer there. And they, basically, you just didn't go. You yeah, just didn't go totally blindly. Yeah, I hadn't made any I hadn't made any commitment to giving birth there. Mm -hmm. And even like a week before I was supposed to, I was due, my family was like, so where are you giving birth now? And I was like, I don't know. Like <laughs> they were kind of amazed, you know, people were kind of amazed that I didn't have like a set place where already, in, you know, a whole plan of like where I was going. So yeah, at the last minute, like I was just going to see when I went into labor and then see if. Dr. Haddad would be around and then I would go to New, if not, I'd go to New Jersey or if he wouldn't be around, I would go to the city hospital. So I really like didn't decide until the day, you know, I went into labor. Yeah. I just, I just kind of flew by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I, I wasn't like uh, some people really, I guess, want to plan a C-section more in advance. I mean, the doula told me there were advantages to like having it scheduled in that I could negotiate for what I wanted. Yeah. Um, true. So there would be that benefit, but I really was kind of like, and I know like, okay, there's some doctors, people say, oh, this doctor is amazing at C-section. You know, I had, I had hardly any scarring or whatever, but to me, like a C-section was a C-section. Like 
you know, I trusted either place to like do it right. And mm-hmm. to me, it didn't matter as much like where I had the C-section. <laughs> so. Well, I'm glad to hear it sounds like your healing has gone pretty well from that. Yeah. It, yeah. It really like, it really became the least of my worries after birth because then I was just wrapped up in the breastfeeding thing. And mm-hmm. like, there was so much I didn't know about breastfeeding and like, I didn't even know that like so many women use formula in the beginning just for whatever reason just because there are so many things that can happen in the first few days and like my son had a tongue tie and lip tie and cheek tie Mm. I knew I knew about that before I had given birth and I just knew it wasn't supposed to be really painful so yeah, when the IBCLC came, like she told me, like he has tongue tie for sure. Like go to this doc, go to this doctor, this doctor, and they can treat it. Mm-hmm. And I did that, and I just like took a break from breastfeeding. I started pumping the day after I got home from the hospital. And for listeners who don't know what a tongue tie is, it's when a the frenulum, the little string underneath the tongue, or sometimes it's an, a posterior tongue tie. There, so we have several different of those. Frenuli, frenulum. <laughs> and if it's too short or tight, it makes it impossible to get the breast into the mouth in a healthy way. It causes pain for the mom. It, the baby doesn't get enough. So it's a, an increasingly diagnosed problem or, or issue these days that yeah. when it's addressed, when it's identified and addressed, can radically change breast, the breastfeeding relationship. It, not immediately, but gradually. So I just wanted to clarify that because a lot of the listeners might not know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly never knew about it. You know, pregnant, I'm going to have a baby and learning about breastfeeding. Um, And yeah, we found out he had that and he was not for sure like getting enough milk by the time I left the hospital. And it was really hard to figure out in the first few days, just you don't know. I mean, you're trying, I was trying to breastfeed him as breastfeeding him like all the time in the hospital. And he was still, you know, the only way they can tell is like how many diapers, 30 diapers were they making? Unless yeah. you have an IBCLC who can then do the weighted scale, but the IBCLC was on vacation, right? You said, I think or gone yeah. for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So he, he lost like 10% of his body weight. Um, by the time, like the day after we got home from the hospital, because the IBCLC then came and like weighed him, which is like, you know, that's within the range of normal. Yeah. Up, up to 10. Yeah. Yeah. But she was like, baby's hungry. Like you need to start formula now. And just like the night after we got home from the hospital, like I was just like, you know, clenching my teeth through the pain, like just mm-hmm. breastfeeding him all night. And she was like, you know, listen, your problems are solvable. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't going to last like, you're going to put him on formula now, but we're going to work on this. And she developed the whole plan for me and like put me on a pumping schedule. So I started using my pump right away, but I just had a problem with like my supply. So, you know, like I pumped a whole syringe of milk while I was at the hospital, but it went downhill from there. Like I just, yeah, at some point I went a week, um, pumping no milk at all. (laughs) Uh, so it was just like my milk, like never really came in quote unquote. So yeah, then I started looking into Domperidone, which is a medication that was not developed for breastfeeding, but actually they were using it to treat like nausea or acid reflux. 
and discovered that it makes people lactate. So I, yeah, I learned all about that and how women have been using it for breastfeeding and milk supply for a long time, which is not really possible to get in the United States. So that was kind of annoying too, because I wanted to get it right away. And I was like, I need to like figure all this out now, like with my breastfeeding problems, which I learned too, you know, was like, it's not so crazy to like figure out breastfeeding when the baby's like six weeks old or something, you know, it was kind of like in the beginning, I felt like I need to like figure out everything like this week. Like I need mm. to, you know, I need to get the baby but, breastfeeding or this is not going to work out and it's not going to happen. Like, or, Yeah. You feel this urgency in you, right? Yeah. Because they're like, they have to eat, they have to eat. Yeah. It can yeah, feel just, stressful. No, you know, he was on formula. I really didn't want him to be on formula. I wanted to, I, I wanted to give him breast milk. I even wanted to look into like getting breast milk from another mom, mm-hmm. which my husband calls off the street, but it's not like getting a street drug. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's actually a, a, a number of uh, donor milk networks here yeah. in the city. Yeah. yeah, and I always mention it in my classes, or I usually try to remember to, to mention it, that you know that's an option and I just to reach out to me if anybody needs that, um, yeah. if they need to supplement. Yeah, people do it um, for sure. Um, but my husband just wasn't comfortable with, you know, getting it from somebody we don't know. That makes um, sense. Yeah. You have to be comfortable with it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, I mean, some people surprisingly like don't ask too many questions before they take milk, but you obviously want to ask them if they have anything, any kind of disease or life, what their lifestyle's like and et cetera. Of course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I looked into that and we ended up like buying some donor milk from the, the New York Milk Bank, which is in Westchester. I, I guess I didn't realize you had to buy it from them. Huh. Well, so you first of all, like need a prescription to get it from them. Yeah, that I knew. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I got my doctor to write a prescription and then either you get insurance coverage or you can pay out of pocket and it's like $4 an ounce. Okay. Which is crazy. A crazy yeah. amount of money if you're That's trying a lot. to. Yeah, if you're trying to exclusively give your baby donor milk. So great for someone who's like, that's financially doable for them. (laughs) Yeah. But otherwise, you know, you try to get, so I'm trying to get my insurance to cover it. And I think insurance companies should cover it for anyone who wants to give donor breast milk. I mean, you know, we've established that breast milk is like the best thing for babies. (laughs) And so many benefits, you know, it's a thousand times better than formula. But yeah, of course, they don't want to cover it. Mm. I'm still, I'm still, you know, trying to appeal and like get them to cover it for us. But yeah, I mean, at least I am glad that we have the milk bank because I think it's great. And definitely, you know, preterm babies need that milk too. Absolutely. Yeah. And they told me, I mean, I knew already that they won't give it to like a full term healthy baby, like what I have, unless they have enough of an inventory, they want to be able to give it to the preterm babies. Right. So I learned all about that. And I went to La Leche meetings before while I was pregnant twice and have gone since I gave birth. And that's really been a great resource for me. I want to throw that out there because anybody who's pregnant should go to a meeting. Yay! I I always say that in class. So I'm so glad you're saying it too. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You learn so much just going to one of those meetings. I think you learn more than you would in any breastfeeding class even just Mm -hmm. because you have 
women like who are breastfeeding and going through it and talking about what they're dealing with. And not only that, but you have women coming in with everywhere, babies to range in age from like infancy to toddler. So, and, you know, I learned quickly that you might have a great experience breastfeeding. It might be really easy, but then down the line, there are things that come up, you know, the babies at every stage is different. So yeah, I mean, they talk about what it's like to go back to work and what happens when the baby is a toddler and uh, undersupply and oversupply and all the different, all the different issues that come up. So yeah, and you get so much support in those meetings too. And it's just a, it's just a really great, great resource. Mm-hmm. Which, so, which location have you gone to? I'm in Long Island City, so I went to my meeting in this neighborhood, my own neighborhood. Nice. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I realized there was one happening in, uh, in LIC. They change a lot because a lot of time because it's volunteer-led, they don't often stay in one place for a really long time, so it's hard for me to keep track of where all they are. But that's great that there's one in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, so it's been really convenient. Well, so do you have any just last tips or wisdom or thoughts for expectant parents who might be listening from your pregnancy, birth, parenting journey to date? I mean, I'm sure anybody who is has a breech baby will be interested in learning about my experience. Um, yeah. And I hope that it helps them in some way. And let me think if there's anything like... I'd want to share about my whole experience. One thing, I, as you're thinking about that, one thing I think is a big takeaway from your story is that it's never too late to change a care provider, you know? Yeah. And don't stay with one if you're not happy with them. Not yeah. that you found the ideal care provider for you, but, but you know, you did your best to navigate that. Yeah. And work with the circumstances that you had. So I commend you for that because I think that's yeah. really admirable. I- I would really, yeah, I would really encourage people to like pursue the kind of birth experience that they want and like don't let your doctor stop you or or think that you can't find a better care provider because it was, I had actually tried to transfer when I was 28 weeks. I like started looking for a different doctor just because I wanted to see midwives and I wanted like, and I wasn't you know, that enthusiastic about the doctor I was seeing and I wanted someplace like closer to home and all these different things. And I was, I found it so difficult. I think people need to know, at least in New York City, that if you're trying to transfer late, like contact a doula to help you or someone who, or ask around or, you know, because it's so hard to transfer. It is particularly difficult in New York City, but doulas, do know who to who to call like they do know what doctors will take a late transfer yeah I called so many practices who told me their cutoff that I was past their cutoff usually 28 weeks a lot of them yeah yeah one was like 25 and I just like did not know that until I was in that situation and yeah and I was like how does somebody even find a doctor if they like move here when they're like 29 weeks or something (laughs) like so crazy but you know, I've helped a lot of my students switch, but yeah. it's, it, it's always tricky. Yeah. Especially because you, you know, I want to help somebody find the best fit for them and that's not going to be right for the next person, you know? So it's a little tricky, but, but yeah, a doula or childbirth, childbirth educator can definitely help with that. 
Yeah, I encourage people to, because it was really discouraging when I was just like being told no from so many practices. And, and I just was happy to have a doula. And I just realized like that doulas know so much more than anyone, I guess, about doctors and hospitals. It's like, they really see it all. Like who else yes. like travels from hospital to hospital, right? Different birth experiences, works with different doctors. They really know more than anyone, I think, about yeah, about who to go to and can tell you about about the different doctors. And yeah, it was it was my it was only through my dual that I was able to even explore the option of having a vaginal breech birth. Mm-hmm. Because she she looked into our network, asked around and everything, and I would not have been able to, yeah, find anybody to even consider that otherwise. So I encourage people to get a doula or at least talk to a doula. Yes, I agree. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) I contacted doulas just when I was looking for a doula, like I just wanted a doula to be present at at my birth. And at that point they were, I even had doulas like her saying, oh, I'm not available, but like, did you try this? Like they were suggesting practices to me before, you know, even ones I had not hired or anything interviewed. They were just, you know, voluntarily telling me, giving me advice about who to go to. So yeah, that was just a valuable resource. And yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. And my doula really encouraged me. She was, she was like, if you're not happy with your doctor, like, transfer like you can like I can Yay. help you mm-hmm. and yeah at the end she was like I'm so happy you left that practice like, me too <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I really wasn't happy there so well thank you so much for sharing this yeah, about all about your journey Christine it's been wonderful hearing about it all and I hope to see your family in person sometime so I can give your little one a kiss <laughs> or a hug <laughs> or a cuddle <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I hope you get to meet meet our little boy. All right. <laughs> thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. In observation of Cesarean Awareness Month, I'm going to teach some basics about cesarean birth. First, I do want to say that we should be grateful we have the surgical birth option when a baby absolutely needs it. However, a common misconception is that cesarean birth is just as safe and healthy as vaginal birth. This is just not true. Vaginal birth, when it's possible, is far safer and a healthier birth for both baby and mom and carries less risk in the healing process, too. We'll talk about the risks next week. About one in three births in the U.S. are C-sections. I recommend asking your care provider what their C-section rate is. You really don't want to hear above 20% to be assured that they're only doing C-sections when absolutely necessary, even with high-risk OBs. If you hear a number higher than that, you may want to consider finding a different care provider, even if it requires traveling farther for your care. Your choice of care provider and birth location are two of the top ways you can avoid an unnecessary surgical birth. Other things you can do to position yourself wisely to avoid a C-section are to let labor start on its own, hire a doula, even if it has to be virtual support, take birth class. Several examples of things you'll learn in class that help reduce the chance of an unnecessary C-section are, number one, you learn strategies to help labor progress efficiently and healthfully. Number two, you learn how to advocate for yourself to avoid unnecessary interventions. Number three, you learn how to discern between a necessary cesarean and an unnecessary one.
Regarding this episode and the baby's breech positioning being the reason for the cesarean, I hope you'll check out the documentary Heads Up to learn more about the history of vaginal versus cesarean birth for breech babies. It's very unfortunate that the U.S. medical schools don't train doctors in how to safely catch breech babies so that most women have no choice but to have a surgical birth if their baby is breached toward the end of pregnancy. I've linked to this film as well as a number of breech resources in this episode's show notes over at birthmattersshow.com. Okay, here's what's up next week. Yeah, Amanda's having a pretty tough time. This is when the lessons of your class came in handy for Grant yes. because he was amazing and was just the entire time, um, you know, just holding my hand and just sort of whispering these mantras, um, you know, things like, uh, I can't remember, I remember what you said, just, yeah. you know, just breathe, breathe, relax your jaw. You know, you can do this. this Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, as uncomfortable as it was at times, it was really like my memory of it is sweet because of that, because it was such a, you know, it was was an intense time and it it had that, you know, bonding effect of. Oh, yeah. 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 I've never felt so close. Um, Yeah. It was amazing. Here's the affirmation I'll leave you with this week that might be helpful right about now. Tell yourself throughout this week, I am calm and safe. My baby is calm and safe. Thanks so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. We'll see you next week. And until then, stay safe, wash your hands, and be well.